0: You'll turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel 17 as we come now to the conclusion of David and Goliath. We began looking at this passage a couple of weeks ago and found that the Philistines and the Israelites are in battle. They are camped out on either side of a valley and in the middle of the valley, uh, a warrior has come out from the Philistines, a giant from Gath named Goliath and And he's come out representing, really, uh, that entire army, and he has issued a challenge. his challenge is this, that the Israelites would send out a man to do battle with him, and if uh, if Goliath was victorious, uh, then the Israelites would become slaves to the Philistines. But if the Israelite warrior was victorious, the Philistines then would become slaves to the Israelites. Well, in response to this challenge, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, Uh, No one steps up. Uh, Saul, the king, the one that the people had cried out to God for, the one that they specifically wanted to go into battle for them, uh, he cowers and he doesn't take on Goliath and and neither do any of the Israelites. And then we read how in this story, a young shepherd named David, who we already know the backstory story to, he's already been chosen by God, anointed by God to become the next king of Israel. But at this point, He's a shepherd in the field. He's sharing his time between being out there in the field, watching his father's sheep, and serving in the household of Saul. And he is back home, and his father sends him to the front lines. He's to take provisions for his three older brothers who were there in this battle. And as he comes and he hears this challenge from Goliath, he responds very differently. He responds courageously. And the news of that courage makes its way to the ears of Saul. And that's where we pick up in our passage today as we look at 1 Samuel 17 verses 31 through 54. And out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand as I read this passage for us and as we pray for God to bless his word and to help us to receive it today. And this is what we read When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear or uh, excuse me when there came a lion or a bear and it took a lamb from the flock I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his army. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not yet tested them. So David put them off, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword And that all this assembly may know, that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose out with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shariam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it into Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. If you would pray with me. Father, as we read a familiar passage, a familiar scene, Help us not to casually glance at it. Help us to look deeper. And help us as we do to see the picture here of the gospel that you've given us. And help us to respond, Lord, to that gospel in repentance and faith. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. If you spent any time in a mall in the 1990s, then you probably came across one of those Magic Eye kiosks. If you remember them, these Magic Eye kiosks had a bunch of posters in them, and these posters looked like a series of dots. But if you walk past one of those kiosks, you probably saw a number of people kind of mesmerized by those posters and just trying to stare deeply into them because These posters were based on a science that goes all the way back to the 1800s. When a British scientist discovered that you can arrange colors and dots in such a way that you fool the mind into seeing something else. And when you understood that and stared long enough at these dots, you'd see that they revealed a three-dimensional picture. And so what appeared to be a series of random dots was really a a whale jumping out of the ocean or a a little cabin on top of a hillside. But you couldn't see these three-dimensional images unless you really took the time to stare at the picture. You couldn't see them with a casual glance. It took a deeper look. As we come to God's Word this morning, we are reminded that God's Word is not a series of dots, it's not a code that needs to be broken, it's not a puzzle, but it certainly is something that requires us to do more than take a casual glance. It's something that we need to take a deeper look at, and this passage is a good example of that. Because many people come to uh, this encounter David has with Goliath, and to the casual glance, the casual observer, this is simply an underdog story. This is a story about having faith like David. If you really just are more like David, then you can take on the giants in your life. That's what we get from a casual glance. But when we take a deeper look at this passage, when we take the time to really understand the context of it and what's taking place here, when we read it in the context of the whole of Scripture, then we see this isn't an underdog story at all. This isn't a story about how strong David's faith is. Now, it is a story about faith. But as we looked at last or two weeks ago, it's about the reality that David had faith in God and Saul did not. It's not about the strength of the faith that David had. It's about the substance of his faith, of who his faith was in. It's a story about the gospel. There's a picture here that I hope becomes clearer to us today of the gospel, of what Jesus has done on our behalf. But we don't see those things if we just casually glance at the scripture. And so we're going to take some time this morning to take a deeper look. And as we do, I hope that we will see the fullness of what God has put before us. Beginning with the first point there in your outline, we're reminded here that Looking back in faith enables us to move forward in faith. That in order for us to move forward in faith, to walk by faith, to step out in faith, first we need to look back in faith and look back at the faithful works of our God. And that's exactly what David does here. Now, picking up again the text, we see here that Saul hears David's words. He has been sitting here for about 40 days at this point and no one is willing to step up to the challenge that Goliath has given. But then this young shepherd boy comes in from the fields, and he has provisions for his older brothers and for their commander. And as he inquires about what's taking place, it becomes evident that he's one who is willing to take on this giant. And that news spreads to Saul. Now, as you read through this story, it almost seems like Saul's unfamiliar with David, and that seems a bit inconsistent because we know at this point, uh, David has been serving uh, there with Saul and playing an instrument for him in his court, but, but the context there is not that David and Saul would have had this close relationship before. I mean, Saul knew the, the, the sound of David's instrument, but didn't necessarily know him well or know him personally. He was just one of many in his court but now he's going to have a much more personal interaction with him. So he brings David to himself, to his tent, and and he inquires of David. David says he's willing to go and to fight this giant. Immediately, Saul's concerned. Saul looks to David and says, well, how's that going to happen? You you can't do that. You're you're, you're your young shepherd, and, and since this Warrior was young. He's been a man of war. You've been a man in the fields. There's no way this will work out. And notice David's response. David does not say to Saul, Well, you know, king, I've had a lot of time out in those fields and I've been reading some scrolls of motivation that have been given to me. And I've been learning that I really need to go out there and and have more faith. And I need to take on the giants of this world. And, And if I just really get excited about this and get charged about this, I can do this because the power's within me. He also doesn't look to Saul and say to him, Well, I am visualizing right now, King, that giant falling. I'm going to speak this into existence. I'm going to name it. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to see this picture of the mighty giant falling, and then it's going to happen. And by the way, king, if you could just stop being negative right now, because your negativity is messing up my victorious picture that I'm visualizing. David doesn't do those things, does he? No, what David does in response to Saul's concern is he essentially looks to the king and says, King, I've been training for this all my life. (laughs) He says, when I've been out there in the field, I've become well versed at taking on mighty predators. And my entire uh, training here has existed of taking on mighty predators. When these predators would come in, whether it was a bear or a lion, and they would steal one of the sheep, I would go after them, and I would take that sheep out of its mouth, and if it came after me, I would kill it. I've been training my entire life to take on mighty predators that come after the flock. And as I look out there and I see this giant, I see another mighty predator coming after the flock of God. And the same God who delivered me from the hand or the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, is the same God who I trust will deliver me from the hand of this giant. Do you see what David does there? David looks back on God's faithfulness in the past. He looks back on how God has rescued and delivered before. And his trust is that God's going to do this again. Because friends, we serve a God who is a deliverer. We serve a God who is a rescuer. And of all people to understand this, the Israelites should have known this. They should have been talking to each other about this already. They should have been remembering the great works of God, how they were slaves in Egypt for centuries. And God sent them a deliverer, a rescuer. He took them out of the hands of their enemies. He took them through the Red Sea. He delivered them and He rescued him because that's what our God does. Over and over and over again. Friends, we need those reminders today just as much as King Saul and the Israelites needed them that day on that battlefield. Because we are faced with enemies all the time. We're faced with things that overwhelm us and fret us and worry us. We face suffering and despair and discouragement everywhere we look. And as God's people... He does not call us in those moments to just have greater faith. He does not call us in those moments to visualize victory. He does not call us in those moments to name it and claim it. He calls us in those moments to remember the mighty deeds He has done. To remember that He is a faithful God. To remember that even when we struggle to have an ounce of faith, He is no less faithful. That He's a God who delivers and rescues and he's a God who does what he says he will do and that's why when we gather on days like today and while we gather each Lord's Day we sing hymns that remind us of the faithfulness of our God they remind us of the mighty works of our God you'll notice as we sing earlier how great thou art that reminds us of what God has done when we Think of God, His Son not sparing, who sent Him to die. We scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. And I can sing that, and you can sing that this morning, not because we walk in here with such perfection in our lives. Not because we walk in here as people who've exercised perfect faith. Not because we've done so well. We are reminded when we sing about the greatness of God, about the greatness of God. And in response to that greatness, well, then our soul can sing. Not of ourselves, but of our mighty God. Looking back in faith helps us to move forward in faith. So if you're struggling, Today, to have faith in God, consider all that He's done. Consider His faithfulness and remember His promises. And find rest in those things. We're reminded of that as we look to this passage a bit deeper. We're also reminded, point two there in your outline, that salvation comes to those who trust in God's deliverer. Salvation comes to those who trust in God's deliverer. So, David makes this appeal to Saul, and now Saul gives David his blessing. And as we read through this account, we see that uh, Saul now is trying to fit his armor on David. Now, uh, again, remember, the reason one of the reasons, at least, that Saul uh, was chosen from that crowd and called to be the king is because hey, he stood high and above everyone else. he was a giant among the Israelites. And so he had armor that would have been custom-made for him and custom-fit for him. And, And now he's trying to put that armor on David, who it would seem is much smaller, much shorter, this young man. And as he does that, it's really obvious it doesn't fit. Now, that's not surprising to us as we think about that. It doesn't shock us that the armor of Saul would not fit David. But what is a bit shocking to us is the weapon that David chooses. he can't wear this armor, but surely he could bear a sword, but that's not what he does. The scripture tells us here in verse 40, he goes down to the water, he picks up five smooth stones, and he's going to approach Goliath with a staff in his hand, and with a sling, and with these stones. Now we know the story, and David is able to kill Goliath with one stone, so why five stones? Well, it could be a number of things. It could be completely inconsequential. It could not matter that there were five. It could be that uh, some have said, well, perhaps David in his experience with taking on predators before knew that you're not always the perfect shot. So he was taking some other stones in case he needed more to bring down the giants. I find it interesting to note that when you read ahead in the Scripture and come to 2 Samuel 21, you find that David there is taking on other giants of Gath. And specifically, there's four of them. The indications are that these four giants of Gath were related to Goliath. Some have suggested they may have been brothers to Goliath. And so it may be that as David was going out to take on Goliath, he was preparing for the kin of Goliath to come out and attack him. And he was going to go after them each with one stone. Whatever the case, it's a bit amazing to us, it would seem on the surface that that he would take something like this to take on the mighty giant. But when you look a little deeper into it, you find this shouldn't be that shocking at all. This was the chosen weapon of the shepherd. This was not the, the slingshot that you can pick up at Walmart or the, the wrist rocket you might have played with as a child. This sling and these stones, which may have been the size of baseballs, when used properly when in the hands of someone who knew how to use them, that would come out at about 100 miles an hour. And so imagine something about the size of a cue ball and the weight of a cue ball coming out of a sling 100 miles an hour and you can see how that would kill someone very quickly. And that is the weapon that David had used in the past and that's the one he will use this time. That makes sense when we understand the context but it's still something that is met with mockery by Goliath. And he mocks this young shepherd boy who comes at him with this staff and this sling and these stones. And you notice David's response here. It doesn't matter what he fights Goliath with. Because he's coming against him in the name of the Lord. And again, David reminds Goliath and he reminds the army behind him that it's not by his might or his strength that this battle will be won. It's by the strength and the might of God. The battle is the Lord's and he's going to win. You notice what David says there in verse 47. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. You notice that? David doesn't say, he's going to give you into my hand, Goliath. He says, no, he's going to give you into our hand. So there's a reminder here that while David's the one going into battle, he's going into battle as a representative of the entire army of Israel. And God's going to give victory to the entire army of Israel through this One man. Now think again. Remember what Goliath's challenge was. Goliath said that essentially I'm going to represent my nation and you're going to represent your nation. And if I beat you, then your nation is going to be slaves to us. But if you beat me, then my nation will be slaves to you. There was a lot at stake here. I mean, the people of Israel understood this challenge. That's why no one was able to step up and meet it. And so when David went into battle, he went into battle not as one that they were looking at thinking, well, he's not going to make it, but as one they're looking at understanding that their future rested on his shoulders, that their freedom rested on his shoulders, that if David fell to the Philistine, now their entire nation and future would be at jeopardy because they will become slaves to their enemies. But notice what we read here. Nobody tries to stop David. Not even his brothers. Not even his older brother who is critical of him already. No one stops him from going into battle. None of them. This is a picture of a nation putting their trust in David to be their enemy deliverer and friends that's a picture we've seen before I mentioned already the exodus you think about God's people and their slavery during their time in Egypt for hundreds of years they could not free themselves but God sent them a deliverer named Moses and they trusted Moses and they followed Moses and they were delivered and saved now did they trust him completely no Did they follow him with great faith? No, not at all. They struggled. But at the end of the day, they walked behind him, and God took them through the waters of the Red Sea, and they were saved. And now here in battle, we come to this point where the nation is going to become slaves once again. And none of them is willing or able to step up to the challenge of this giant. Their future is at stake. Their freedom is at stake. They're about to become slaves to the Philistines. And what happens? God sends them a deliverer named David. And do they trust him perfectly? No, we've already seen a brother who's critical of him. But at the end of the day, they trust him to go out into battle. And he wins that battle. And through this one man, the people are delivered and saved. Do you recognize this picture in other places? You and I, the scripture says, are born in sin. We're slaves to it. and We can't rescue ourselves. We can't save ourselves. But God sent us a deliverer and a rescuer named Jesus. And he goes to the cross and he takes on our enemy and he defeats the enemy of sin and death. And through our faith and our trust in Him, we are saved. Does that mean our faith must be perfect? No, our faith struggles all the time. But if we put our trust in Jesus, then we experience salvation, just like the Israelites did during the Exodus, just like the Israelites do in 1 Samuel 17, and just like every person does, is they put their faith and their hope in Jesus. That's the picture that we have here of The gospel. I want you to note something else here that points us towards the gospel. Verse 45. David tells Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord. That phrase is one that's very unique. It's a phrase we don't see very often in Scripture. In fact, we don't see this phrase again until the gospels. And we don't see it in the gospels until Jesus is coming into Jerusalem of what we know as the triumphal entry. And as he's coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, the people are hailing him as king. Hosanna, Hosanna, the king is coming. And what do they say? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then we see that phrase one more time. And it's from Jesus himself. Not long after that triumphal entry, as he's giving a condemnation as he's giving his woe to the religious leaders of his day as he's looking to those who had heard this gospel proclamation over and over and over again and they refused to respond in repentance and faith. And he looks to them and says, The day will come in judgment when they will cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess his lordship. And he reminds those religious leaders of his day that they have the opportunity then to cry out to God to say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and to be saved. But there will come a day when they are under the wrath of God and the judgment of God and they're crying out to Jesus as Lord in that moment. We'll not save them. Friends, it's a fitting reminder for us today. Some of you have sat in this and other churches. You, you've heard the gospel over and over and over again. But you've not responded in repentance and faith. Maybe you've externally conformed. And maybe you've given up a few vices in your life. And maybe you've tried to clean up your act a little bit. But but you know today that deep down, you've never put your full hope and your full trust in Christ. You've not repented of your sin and put your hope in Jesus. Friends, hear this word. If you don't cry out to Him, Lord, today, there's a day that you will. But you'll be in judgment under God's wrath. And His grace to you this morning is He's giving you yet another opportunity to repent. Don't casually look past that, but respond in faith and in repentance. The last thing we're reminded of here, point three in this text, is this, that in the end, every enemy of God will be silenced. God's glory will indeed fill the earth. That day is indeed coming, and we have a foretaste of it, In 1 Samuel 17. So David takes the stone. He puts it in his sling. He slings it at Goliath. And one shot. The mighty Goliath falls and dies. And then we're given this commentary on what takes place. To be passed down through generations to us today. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, there was no sword in the hand of David. It's a reminder to us of what David had said before he slung that stone in verse 47. And this assembly, he's saying these people, this, this army that cowered, they're going to know at the end of this day, they're going to know when the giant falls that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, The battle is the Lord's. And friends, that's the reminder for us today. We're surrounded by warring factions. We're surrounded by angry people and divisive sides. And it's very easy for us to to slip into this temptation that, that somehow we've got to win this. Or we've got to win something. Or we've got to prove something. We're reminded here from God's word that the battle is the Lord's and in the end, God always wins. Every enemy of God will be silenced and God's glory indeed will fill the earth. So brothers and sisters, we don't need to live in fear of what the rest of 2021 holds or what the rest of time holds because we know the end of the story. You might look around today and see all that's going on in the world and it may seem at first glance like chaos and a bunch of random dots. But when we look at the world today through the lens of God's sovereignty and God's Word, we are reminded of this vivid picture that comes forward. Of this vivid truth of God's Word that in the end, All of God's enemies are silenced and God's glory will fill the earth. God wins. And He invites us to be a part of that victory as we trust in the One who is victorious on our behalf. So today, trust in the Lord and walk in His ways and know that He'll do exactly what He promised He would do. You would, pray with me. Father, we thank you that we know the end of the story. We thank you that we know how everything works out. And as we're surrounded by people and by a world of wicked people doing wicked things and, and people trying to figure out what's next and what's coming, Lord, we thank you that, that we already know the end. So help us, Lord, to trust in you. Help us to have faith in you. Help us to cry out to you, Lord, Lord. But Lord, help us not to be like those you warn us of in your word that one day we'll say to you, Lord, Lord, and you'll look and say to them, I never knew you. Help us to be known by you. And Lord, we understand that comes through our repentance and our trust in Jesus. So I pray again, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to trust in Jesus, May today be the day of salvation for them. We ask that now in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, we're going to stand together and we're going to sing together. And as we do, as we offer this time of invitation, we invite you to respond to God's word. One of the ways we do that is through worshiping and through singing. One of the ways you can do that is through coming forward today and, and professing before this assembly. Christ is Lord of your life by turning to Him through repentance and faith, by following through in obedience and baptism, through beginning the process of church membership. So if you would stand with me now as we sing and as we respond through singing this song, All I Have is Christ.